Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Mark Rayshap, and this is Another Bottle Down, a podcast about wine, wine appreciation, and the wine industry. On today's show, we have a terrific discussion with Michelle Thibault and Marla Norman of MichelleThibaultWine.com and Travel Curious Often. We take a deep dive into Bordeaux, what is going on there at the moment in terms of wine trends and vintages, and what wine tourism is like in the most prominent wine region in the world. But first, I'd like to discuss something that piqued my interest in the last couple weeks. We just rung in the first days of 2019, and in the madness of the holidays, I received an email from Wine Spectator. It read, what does it mean to be a wine collector? I think that this is a fascinating question that gets to the heart of how one appreciates wine and thinks about value. Spectator launched a poll to hear what their readership thinks and posited five options, none of which I think actually gets to the essence of collecting wine. Okay, so number first, first option of theirs was, as the saying goes, if you have three of something, you have a collection. And if you have three collections, you have a museum. Uh, this is cute and tries to eliminate snobbery, which I think is a great thing, but I still think it falls quite short. Number two was, if you've been saving a bottle of wine for more than a year, you're a collector. Well, um, we're starting to get interesting, but I think uh, this still falls short because people might be holding on to a sentimental bottle without really knowing what it is or even if they will really like it, uh, and I don't think that this describes collecting wine. Next, they give us an option. Wine lovers don't become collectors until they own multiple vintages of trophy wines like Domaine de la Romane Conti, Screaming Eagle, or Petrus. And I think that this is absolutely absurd, and it represents everything I hate in the wine industry. But not surprising that it's being offered as an option by Wine Spectator. The wine industry should be trying to dispel exclusivity, not putting it on display with wines that are so limited and expensive. Next, they say, if you're not buying wine with an auction paddle, you're not a collector. Also, I think this is pretty absurd and off-base, as you can be stocking a seller with really amazing wines purchased at so many different retail outlets. The fact that you need to be of an exclusive group in an auction room spending more money than you probably have to does not mean anything. Their best option, and the final one we'll have here, says... Is there a dedicated space to store wine in your home? Maybe it's even temperature controlled. Question. This is somewhat a corollary to a definition posited by Matt Kramer at one point, though I can't re-dig up and confirm where I read this. He says that a collector is simply one who buys more wine than he or she drinks. Both of these don't address motivation, and you can argue that it doesn't matter, but I think there's something interesting about it. Let's say you have a wonderful wine at a restaurant and purchase a case of it. You store it in a dedicated place. And let's say you, you do this several times. Now you have a small collection of wine, and when you open a bottle, you are guessing it gives you great pleasure. Okay, I think that this makes you a collector in this scenario, but I would like us to all think about this with an added dimension that celebrates the ever-changing character of wine. When I returned home from a year abroad in Spain, and with a passion for learning and understanding wine, the 2000 vintage from Bordeaux was just being released, which was an excellent vintage. I purchased a couple cases of not even Cru Classé Bordeaux, they were Petit Chateau or Cru Bourgeois, 
These wines stayed in my father's cellar in New Jersey, and I opened one every once in a while. You could say I grew up with the 2000 vintage. They gave me more pleasure than wines triple their price, and as they matured and evolved, I loved learning more about wine and myself and was able to share these experiences with friends and family. By the way, it doesn't always go well. Sometimes a wine that you've been saving falls short or is dead or in a dumb phase, but this is life and it makes the sweet moments even sweeter. In the past several months, I've had a slew of inexpensive wines that have been stored well and the pleasure is really remarkable. Sometimes by chance and from my cellar, uh, and I went to an entire tasting with this theme hosted by Brian Owens in Austin. I'm not sure if we've ever answered with any more clarity about what a collector is, and I'm sure it doesn't really matter. But I'd like to live in a wine world where there are more collectors who search for new experiences and gain an incredible amount of pleasure in seeing those wines evolve and change, and then share those experiences with fellow wine lovers. I don't really do res resolutions, but this year I'm going to be buying more inexpensive wines, particularly from the 2015 and 16 vintages in the Rhone and Bordeaux, which we'll, we'll he hear Michelle talk about this very, this very point in the main part of the show. And I'll forget about them in my cellar. And I'll tr try to do a better job at sharing those experiences either on Cellar Tracker or social media so the world can enjoy them along with me. All right, enough of me jabbering, and let's hear from Michelle Thibault and Marlon Norman. Um, oh, wait, one last thing. There are a couple of events in Austin you should really know about. I have two classes coming up, January 15th and 16th. I'll be at Andiamo Italian Restaurant doing a class on the great Italian rivalries. And, uh, and, and that's going to be great fun, you know, Barolo versus Barbaresco, Chianti versus Brunello. It'll be a, a slew of amazing wines. And at the Wine and Food Foundation of Texas on the 16th, I'll be doing Syrah from around the world. You can check out more information at theilluminatedbottle.com for more information. And please save the date for March 2nd and 3rd will be the first Wonder Woman of Wine conference in Austin, Texas. Tickets will be going on sale shortly, and I'll keep you all updated. And in fact, Rania Zayat will be uh, my guest next week. So uh, definitely look forward to that, and definitely look forward to these great wine events and this wonderful conversation with Michelle Thibault and Marla Norman. Thanks and enjoy. Bordeaux is actually, it's interesting because it's considered to be such an old school place, right? Everyone, when you talk about Bordeaux, it's like nothing is really is going on. You think of New Zealand, Australia, all these interesting places. Bordeaux is actually experiencing an incredible renewal uh, from many standpoints. From a uh, physical uh, standpoint, which Marla will discuss in a minute, but also from a uh, the fact that it interests many people from around the world who are willing to come in and invest money and create some fabulous vineyards, uh, new thoughts on how to make wine, uh, um, new projects, uh, just an incredibly interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, you had we were talking before the show that you've been going to Bordeaux since the the, the 70s, um, or and was Bordeaux ever in a weird spot or a down spot uh, well it has been a down spot for a long time the uh both from uh, the fact the the concept that uh 
uh, um, people seem to be tired. The products seem to be okay, but not that great. Now you get a sense that with this generation, um, uh, the, the interest is to make beautiful wines, better wines than before, uh, to, uh, um, to go in directions that they, had, they hadn't experienced before, uh, um, uh, particularly with, the, with the, uh, the younger age group like yours, where they really uh, um, are interested in, 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 in just taking the next step. Can you give us an example, a real-time example of, of that, of that well, young energy? Uh, well, uh, you know, we have friends who are winemakers in Bordeaux, and they, um, they are, for example, they're making wine, natural wines, wines without sulfur. They're um, doing different labels to, to interest uh, different countries. They're traveling to wine shows. They're, um, they're not making wines like their parents. They're trying to make wines that are more cutting-edge, fresher, cleaner, crisper. Um, they're, um, they're holding on to prices to where Bordeaux's, Bordeaux wines now, um, you laugh when I say that, but uh, they're probably much, much better buys than California wines, by and large. Yeah, so, I, I mean, not just the classified growths, but also the petite chateaus you're seeing. That's where, is that really where the innovation is? That's, I think the innovation and the quality is on the, the second and third tier. The petit chateau where, uh, 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 um, foreigners and other families, insurance companies uh, uh, bought the wineries, invested a lot of money, put in top-level staff, replanted and whatnot. Middle-level, where there's also more money, they're using more technology, you know, uh, optical sorters and whatnot. So where the, these wines that were, you know, fourth and fifth growth are now super high quality and are getting 95-point ratings and are still costing 40 bucks. I mean, not too expensive. I think that's where the, all the excitement is. Yeah. And uh, also regionally as, as well. I mean, in terms of, uh, I mean, I always think of the left bank as being these fancy chateau. Um, is there room for innovation on that side? Yeah, there is. There, there's some restructuring. And, and uh, like Marla will also talk about there, you know, there's movements into biodynamic there. But well, and they have the money. They're the ones with the money to really be innovative too, right? They can, they can. Uh, we were, we, were uh, we had a great interview uh, with Thomas Du at Chateau Palmer uh, earlier uh, this year, talking about all the unique biodynamic things they're doing. They're actually one of the few certified biodynamic vineyard properties in France, not just Bordeaux, in France. Um, and there, I, I can talk about that a little later, but uh, that kind of thing takes money. Yeah. And the fact that sometimes these experiments fail and causes a crop reduction is also expensive. So th these are the guys that can afford that kind of a risk. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you always, th and I can't agree more that uh, I often look to larger wineries that are then have these pet projects that, mm. that, you know, are doing really remarkable things. And we see that, I saw that in the Douro um, with Quinta dos Morsas, which is owned by a very large winery. You know, we see it all over that, mm. that these large wineries with the capital, they have the, the, the room to invest, right? If they're, yeah, if they're ready to, uh, you know, take that kind of a, a move, then clearly they're the ones that can, can finance that and take the hit if it doesn't work out, because sometimes it doesn't. Right, so. right. 
but it's all part of that whole movement. And, and uh, that's a, one other thing we're seeing in Bortu is the fact that more and more of the vineyards are moving into biodynamic techniques, even if they couldn't afford to you know, get go the, the full route and get certification. Nobody used pesticides anymore. Nobody in Bordeaux. I mean, everybody is very proud of that. And um, the big problem they're having is with mildew because of the amount of rain they receive. Right. Well, so, and Bordeaux is historically a really rainy yes. place. Yeah. And, and that's... Right on the uh, Atlantic coast there. So. On the Atlantic coast. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people historically have thought, okay, well, maybe biodynamics can't really work. In, I mean, it, it can work in Burgundy, um, you know, or it's it, that's kind of... And the Loire is really leading the, the, mm-hmm. the realm, the, the, the innovation in terms of biodynamics. And Bordeaux was a little late to adopt it. And some people said that, oh, it's tricky in Bordeaux because of the because rain. Because of the rain. Well, but, that, and that is an issue, clearly. Uh, but, but you see more and more, more properties. And more, yes, more and more properties uh, adopting the techniques and you know they're using horses and they're uh, planting fruit trees within the vineyard to attract bugs and, and, help, and actually also help with the um, water... Um, uh, replacement and uh, distribution because obviously the wine the the roots of the the trees will absorb the water and then in hot summers they displace it as well so it's at aeration so the you know all kinds of techniques that they're coming back yeah, so when to we when we talk about innovation <laughs> and kind of increased technology it's not just machines and no. metal right no <laughs> right? It's, yeah it, it's, Horses it's figuring and, out how and, to do things and uh, allowing the grass to grow and you know to, again to add more just to add more biodiversity the water issue can we talk about water in Bordeaux just a second? The drainage and whatnot, um, because a lot of people don't realize this, but in you know in the 1600s, 1600 maybe uh, correct me, Michelle, but it w- it was under Marsh and it was the Dutch yeah. that drained the 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 the, the swamp and. And so, you know, are they still, you know, of course, Cabernet Sauvignon doesn't like its roots wet. It likes well-draining soils. And, and so what are people talking about, you know, so is it planting trees or other crops to kind of dry out the soils or? Well, I mean, there's many issues. Obviously, for example, uh, 2018, it was a, it was a big problem. Uh, it rained constantly in the spring which uh, brought about mildew. So if you were spraying, you, you sprayed. You sprayed as much as you could. And, and given the fact, actually, that the, the rest of the summer and fall were fantastic, 2018 is going to be a bumper crop and a fantastic vintage, much like 16, for instance. But if you were in biodynamic, where you couldn't spray, uh, the only thing they could do is add copper, which is allowed for, uh, by... Uh, the system, and of course, you know, putting copper into the ground is not necessarily a great thing, but mostly uh, uh, some of those wineries like Palmer or Ponte Canet ended up with uh, 30, 40, 50 percent less wine. So, so water is still, you know, uh, I remember uh, this uh, winemaker saying that uh, in California the problem is the sun, while in Bordeaux the problem is the rain. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> and and I just find it so fascinating that you know they they uh, essentially drain this area, 
and uh, and and because of those alluvial gravel deposits, that is you know where we get some of our most famous that's terroirs. Spot. That's a prime spot. If you if you're actually that's why it's so important to be there on the ground because if you leave the city of Bordeaux and you go through the uh, the left bank, uh, maybe ten miles into the drive, you start being on the Chateau Road, and you notice that. The road is, uh, runs about two miles from the water, and this two miles is golden territory. All the way up to the, to the uh, Saint-Estef location, this, uh, this is top property. On the left side of the road, you, know, you have lesser wines, and on the right side of the road, close to where this alluvium is, where all these this, uh, seashells and whatnot are, is where your best wine is. Plus, the proximity mm-hmm. to the water means that the the, the weather, the right. the breeze, is always there to to make it less cold or less yeah. hot. That was the salvation in 2017 when they had the terrible frost to deal with. This past year it was the rain, and then but in in 17 it was the horrible frost. It was unprecedented, and uh, but those properties, uh, the the top terroir by the river, were were fine. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, they had no, no damage whatsoever. So. Right, so it, it just goes to show that those terroirs have been proven mm-hmm. over and over. Those right. properties have yeah. been proven over and over. I want to talk about the um, what is going on in terms of tourism and just the overall quality of the... But before we get into that, Michelle, you were talking about um, the vintages. And uh, can we go over, you know, since you guys are there twice a year, three times a year, and always at the UGC, the, the Union of Grand Cru uh, campaign. Um, I, I just want an update as well as far as what, what, what the past few vintages. I think everybody knows 15 and 16 have been spectacular. Marley, you, you, you mentioned, you know, 17 had its issues, but, you know, what are our, your overall impressions? Both, but, you know, both well, of yours, yeah. Well, you know, uh, one thing is for sure, um, if you look back in the 70s, there were a couple of fair vintages and a bunch of bad vintages. If you look in the 80s, there were a couple of good vintages and a number of fair vintages. Now, in, the, in this uh, era we're in, 2013 was not a good vintage. Even though people make pretty, made pretty decent wine, all the other vintages have been good to great. And that's a, um, a result of better techniques, better equipment, um, you know, just a better know-how in general. And, uh, and of, of course, a weather that's appropriate now, you know, uh, to, uh, to, 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 this, uh, to this kind of activity. But 18 is going to be a great vintage. 17 was a very good vintage. 16 and 15, fantastic. 14 was a good vintage. We talked about 13, but 12 and 11 were good vintages. And, of course, 09 and 10 were excellent, too. So, so Bordeaux, Bordeaux is making great vintages, and you know what? Uh, between a combination of the Euro that is kind of a stagnant right now, or may even going down, yeah, and uh, producers who are holding their prices, you can find some fantastic buys. For, you know, uh, there. Uh, if you look at the, in fifteen, for example, wines that have been released recently, you've got four or five chateaus that cost eighteen ninety nine retail that are rated ninety three ninety four points. I dare you to find some equivalents in, the, in, in other areas. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. 
What, can can we delve just can we um, go a little bit deeper on the vintages? I mean, in, just in terms of your, I mean, structure versus opulence, sure. or uh, uh, just sure. because. So, I think so it's fifteen, worth it. fifteen, fifteen was a very warm year in Bordeaux, uh, with also some warm nights. So, so the wines are 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 quite rich and opulent. But they're, but they're approachable, you know, when we tasted them in the future years, they were very, Mm -hmm. it was very similar to 09. Mm -hmm. Uh, 16 Mm -hmm. is probably in the end result going to be a better year. Maybe not today, but in in the end result, just like 10, maybe a better year than nine. People say, well, how can you say that? Because nine gets so many uh, high ratings. Nine is better now, but 10 will probably be better in 10 years. So same with 16. 17, it was, it was a, uh, you know, the boys and the men being separated, uh, but fantastic wines being made. 18, there are... But you have to, so for 17s, you have to kind of look for either be very uh, a savvy buyer or, and then maybe go for the more famous properties or... Well, again, yes, look, look at that, uh, that road marking we're talking about and look at all those properties that did not suffer. And, and that's where all your good wine is going to be. On the right bank, a lot of wines are good because, the, uh, the, because of the sloping... There was, uh, they had very little, there very few issues. And 18, uh, 18 by and large, uh, other than the properties again that suffered from, uh, that, that could not spray, all the others did fantastic because the summer and the fall uh, uh, finish off the wines really good. The wines are rich in fruit. We, uh, we just sampled some 18s recently. Uh, um, the the wines are rich in fruits. So they are concentrated. Uh, and they're the, they're going to be nice. I would say the winemakers, hundred uh, percent. Everybody was so excited about eighteen. It was really fun to kind of see that enthusiasm, especially after seventeen, which was t- very very tough for right. so many, so much of Bordeaux. So everybody's very pumped about eighteen. So, that, uh, yeah, they, they, that, they you yeah. can tell they think this is this is really prime stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can know, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, and there's so I think there's a pride. Fun. It was really fun to be there this fall because they you they know they're onto something really good. Right there, there has to be a pride to making excellent wine mm-hmm. in a you know with some challenges, sure. right? Mm-hmm. That you did it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's. We should real quick too. We should talk about because uh, it because it is interesting too. Some of the big investors because we have, you know, sh- yes. some real glamour. Chanel is investing. Well, I, in I feel like I feel like that that was you know almost big news. Quark, you know. It was big news. You know, uh, many year, you know uh, maybe like a handful, t- five, ten, ten, twelve years ago when there was a, a you know kind of a wave. I think maybe that uh, that movie um, turned a lot of people. Uh, what was it called? The um, Read something or other. Uh, I'll look it up for the edits. Um, <laughs> okay. But um, there was a movie about you know the Chinese investment uh, with the two thousand um, mm. you know eight vintage various mm. investors and then. Um, but yeah, we haven't heard so, much about that. So, yeah, so let's not, talk about the investors. It's definitely not Chinese. Like uh, I think Peter Kwok to start with really quickly is he's Vietnamese for starters, although he spends much of his time in Hong Kong now and derives a lot of his wealth from China. But he's very much Vietnamese with a French sensibility because he grew up 
in Vietnam, speaking French and, and having such a huge affinity for the culture. So he's bought in big time to... Um, and how present is how present is it? The, I mean, is it right behind bank. the scenes or is it... Um, well, do you see a yeah, change? Yeah, it is behind the scene. There, These people are... Um, they, um, I mean, they control things, but they don't make the wine. Their statement is, we hired the best people to make the wine and we're... We're going to give them the best tools, but we'll let them do, uh, as in the case of Peter Kwok, who bought uh, Chateau Tour Saint-Christophe, Belfond Belsier, and a couple of others, the concept is, you know, he wants to give his children the ability to run these properties, you know, after he's gone. That's that's kind of his thing. We'll live in France now. But, uh, uh, but in addition to these people, there's a, a lot of uh, activity, uh, primarily from insurance companies in France, where... Yeah. A company like Score just bought uh, a huge property in Chateau Trollomando, which sits on top of Saint-Emilion. Just bought uh, uh, some additional vineyards at an enormous cost, which is problematic in France because even though somebody made a lot of money on it, uh, everyone else is ha- going to have to pay higher taxes. So there's a lot of issues, but uh, uh, insurance companies are purchasing uh, uh, property. Like Marla says, Chanel bought uh, Chateau Canon. We are we're writing a blog this week about this, where whereby she and I were watching the property being completely renovated. The next year, Canon get 100 points. So, I mean, there's an wow. obvious relationship between a property being improved on, top staff, and suddenly the wine is great. How, how much of that is the actual improvement of the wine, and how much of it is actually calling attention from the journalists? Well, that's a question, but when you, it, it is a question for sure, but when you have, you know, six or seven of the top pros, as in the, you know, uh, Jeb Dunnock and all these people who just suddenly look at this wine and say, man, this is well made, um, you know that that has to hold right. some kind of absolutely water. yeah yeah yeah. How I, I, what I wanted to ask about the the influx of investors and and foreign owners now is how much has that given rise to consultants? Because I feel like uh, in, in even a bigger way. I mean, consultants in Bordeaux have always been big, but you know, do you see that if these these investors they want to not just keep their winemaking team, but they might want to have somebody over it to kind of ensure yeah. the quality. Or no, do you know? Do you not I, see that? I, personally, I, I think the uh, the consultant is almost going away because I think this was something that was real popular, you know, twenty and ten years ago, and so everyone wanted uh, everyone wanted the Michel Rolands the, and whatnot of the world to come and make wine for them. But the, I'm not talking about the, the super the crazy ones, but you know, the, some of them that have kind of larger reach but maybe so i think now the 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 key is individuality where uh, where wineries vineyards are kind of a trusting their own team to uh, to make very cool products they have uh, um you know they've all gone to dijon to uh, the top schools and um and there um, and there's enough movement between a, a winemaker who was working at a one chateau last year who's coming to work for you now where uh, I think they feel very comfortable and they all want to give their own identity to the wine. So I don't know uh, how much uh, uh, consultants now, I, I see they're, they're, uh, I see they're um, essentially declining. They're roles. declining okay. yeah. but, I mean, which I think is a great thing. I mean, uh, you know, not, not for them, but 
I think uh, you know wineries need to be individualistic. They need to mm-hmm. present uh, you know what they make themselves. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So. No, I, I mean that, that's yeah. great. And I was going to say uh, something else uh, that I think is going on in Bordeaux now, at least uh, so far as the American consumer is concerned, is this is life after Robert Parker. <laughs> you yes. still have wine advocate, but you have an, a number of uh, of critics now. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, with uh, uh, Neil Martin and and Galoni and uh, some of the others uh, forming their own consultancy group or not consultancy but rating group, right? There, that's a, a big deal. And, They're a little bit less then, uh, ostentatious, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, the, I guess the point is that there's not just one source now for right. ratings. You have you have people that are. Um, I mean, I love the fact that Galoni and Martin actually you know, kind of disagree somewhat on, on ratings that they, yeah, you know, one might be a little higher with one property, the other lower. Right. The, the bottom line is you have um, some choices now as a consumer and, you know, a multiple, multiple ratings and um, reactions to take a look at when you're making a decision so far as your, what you want to collect is right. concerned. So, right, because you can't, the, 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 the consuming public can't be there. You know, they can look right. at your your ratings yeah. too, and you guys publish. Well, we in actually your... feel like we maybe even count a little more that uh, you know now that Parker's not there to Absolutely. sort of yeah. set the standard for everything. Yeah, so. I think our opinion matters in a sense that uh, we're, we're there. You know, we go there, and uh, so uh, while we don't experience, uh, um, we don't have the same experiences as Galoni, for example. You know, drinking some uh, 1877 <laughs> Lafitte. We but are, how applicable is that to the, yeah, the consuming public? You but know? we're uh, uh, so um, we are we're on the ground. We're um, we observe. We can observe everything that's been created that's in front of our eyes. We we talk to the producers and their um, and their employees, and and so we we really get a sense. For example, you go to Chateau Clinet, and you get a sense for what the team wants to do, wants to accomplish. You know how focused they are on making their wines, how interested they are in the cleanliness of of the property. Uh, you know what can, what what their goal is, and I think that's a when we see that, of course, we are we're sold on the product, and we you know then and then we tell you. Yeah. You know. Right. Right, and 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 you might ask for feedback more so, or the the opinions of what what the what your customers think as well. We do, and 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 their their honesty. Uh, going back to Clinet, I mean, I remember uh, uh, talking to Ronald Laborde, the owner of Chateau Clinet, and I was asking him about the uh, 2017, and he says, you know, we 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 meet with our board every year, and we we ourselves give a rating to our wine in relation to others. And he says, you know, for the 17, I thought our wine was worth between 93 and 95 points. It got 93 and 95. So we're pretty satisfied with the rating that we received because that's what we thought it was worth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. And, and, you know, wrapping up the, I, I, you know, Marla, I didn't think about this, you know, just in terms of the variety of voices that come out mm-hmm. of, you know, Robert Parker being marginalized. Um, and 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 also that valuing maybe more people on the ground and not just journalists but also you know everybody who's 
yeah. giving information about what's going on on the ground. So, mm -hmm. um, so wonderful. Yeah, the nice things about social media, I guess, too, right? Is that absolutely, you know, yeah. Any, anybody who's there and has an opportunity to taste can talk about that experience. Yeah, and, and it's valid. So that so so your interview with um, the Palmer folks are going to mm -hmm. be travel curious. Aust, uh, no, often, no, that's, no, that's that's actually that's on, on Michelle Michel Thibault wine. wine. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, so. we'll give all the michellethibaultwine.com uh, info <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. at the end. Okay. Um, well, so what? I guess we were going to talk about uh, let's talk Bordeaux about, too. Just the city itself, the city and, and visiting, kind of and the a energy. renaissance there because. Um, even six years ago when we were visiting, there, there were not that many great hotels, uh, right. and to be quite honest. And, uh, and there were good restaurants, but now you have this amazing variety. And not really and, many uh, wine bars, right? Right, I mean, yeah. Uh, Oddly enough. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So you have that now. Um, and it all kind of kicked off in 2007 when UNESCO um, declared the city as one of their sites. And one of the reasons for that was that um, Baron Hausmann, who famously was the architect for Paris, used Bordeaux as his template. He sort of, ex that was his experimental uh, site. And uh, a lot of people have forgotten that, but that's one of the cool things about Bordeaux too, is you sort of have this deja vu sense that you're kind of in Paris, but not, and so, so anyway, so that's interesting, and that was one of the reasons that they chose it, and then um, the EU actually designated Bordeaux as their uh, top destination in Europe in uh, 2015, so that was, you know, part of the catalyst, plus all the other things happening in the vineyards to right. uh, create this dynamic for great new hotels and restaurants. And now then we also have uh, La Cité uh, du Vin, which is this incredible wine museum, which treats not just French wines or Bordeaux wines, but uh, wines internationally. And so they have lectures and interactive presentations and um, these huge, one of our favorite sections is this huge bank of um, snifters, I guess, for lack of a better word, where you can go and smell uh, old books, tobacco, leather, you know, all the things, all the scents and aromas that are in wine. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, and then there are other banks of uh, color where you can, you know, identify, uh, you know, the different mm -hmm. colors within wines and, and the whole history of wine. I mean, it's on and on and on. It's three stories, and then at the top, is uh, this beautiful wine bar uh, with this huge terrace with this uh, 360 view of Bordeaux, and you can sample all different kinds of wines, and that's included in your ticket. Oh. So when we take tours to Bordeaux, we always start there now because yeah. it's a, this you know brilliant introduction to um, Bordeaux and wine in general. So when you're there, what is the reaction from people? I assume you see people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. there you know do, are, are people really interested are they thinking oh this is just something that are, are there wine lovers novices i would assume that there's there's walks of all life on our uh, in, in, in within the city not on your tour because those are serious wine lovers um but but the um within the city itself no in the cité du yeah. vin ah uh, yeah no um well i guess i guess if you're there obviously you have 
pretty serious interest in wine, but yeah. but I, I do think that that is one of the beauties of the site is you can be a complete novice. Um, and when we actually see, um, you know, within the city itself, they take they take school kids through. Right. <laughs> so how French. I love right. it. I know. And, so uh, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, just it, so it's it's that it could be that basic or it can be as advanced as as you're interested in. It's yeah. it's all available to you. So, well, I remember yeah. when it was being built, and it would be, you know, a real mouthpiece for the for the wine industry of Bordeaux, and uh-huh. I, you know, it's so hard to encapsulate an industry, you know, an industry in a museum. But it seems like they did a pretty good job. They really did. Yeah, yeah. they have a lot of interviews with winemakers, and what's cool is that's also interactive. So they're programmed to say all kinds of things, obviously. So you can um, cue a question. And have your question responded to seriously? By, yes, yeah, by uh, Michelle Roland, for example. Or, uh, yeah, or, have a California producers. Yeah, they have California producers. They have Argentine producers. They have, mm. you know, they have uh, winemakers in the Duro. I mean, it's truly, truly mm. international. Right. They did an amazing job. Super cool. It's very high tech and um, edgy. So. Uh, well, I, 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 I look forward to the next for the, the first time that I, I go. <laughs> so, yes. you, you know, in wrapping up, so we've got better hotels, we've got better restaurants, mm-hmm. more, more, oh, maybe more, yes. yeah. more nouveau, more just exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of young chefs doing young really chefs. creative things because they have all the, the the ingredients are fabulous. Mm-hmm. They have the seafood, mm-hmm. so so right. close to the Atlantic. Beautiful oysters. So is it taking over Incredible. over Lyon, or, or is it is it like? Well, oh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Sorry, Bordeaux. It's a different feel. It's, yeah. Yeah. But do you know, as we do in in our tours, when we take people, we'll usually uh, uh, we you know we'll go to the Cité du Vin on Sunday, and then we we'll spend a couple of days on the left bank, and the left bank is such a treat because it's you know as you say all those big beautiful properties and and just you know you you see a sort of a places like Chateau d'Isson, which take you back mm-hmm. into history. And then we'll do a day in Pessac, which is kind of the forgotten area, but, but you know, Chateau Aubryon, you know, I mean, you know, there's such a history behind it. And then we save the last two or three days to go out of town and go to Saint-Emilion, which, in my mind, is the prettiest little village in the world. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's like, a, for those who've been to Montalcino in Italy, it's the same concept of a little village on the hill, um, all established, yeah, it's established by the Romans. So you have everything in it is beautiful, and then the moment you step out of the village, you're in, into a winery, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, dozens of wineries, and all more scenic than the others. Fantastic restaurants everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the, the um, as beautiful as Bordeaux is. When we take people to Saint Emilion, they go. This is when I want to retire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. It is. It's like walking into a fairy tale. Yeah. So, yeah. And, so and you say, "Well, how rich are you?" Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And yeah. well, and um, and and you mentioned natural wine bars. I mean, in in or or you know, there's an excitement about because I think of that. I was just looking about. You know, I'm going to Paris in a few weeks, and um, you know, natural wine bars of Paris. But you almost think of that not as Bordeaux, but that brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. Right? Well, that's because that's because you know Bordeaux has been faced with the uh, with the fact that uh, when the uh, when their wines are on the retail shelf, 
you know, they, there's a name of a property which people do not associate with, do not understand, cannot, cannot pronounce. So uh, they realize that uh, after a while, the, other than the top 50, just like movie stars, other than the top 50 making a lot of money, all the others are starving. So the, they have had to resort to, to other techniques of marketing for their products. And, and so that's where they're going now. They are calling their wines. One of our friends has a wine she calls Heart of the Vine. And, and she puts the varietal on it. So it's more, this, and it's a natural wine. It's uh, there's a little more of an understanding from an American consumer standpoint, right? And uh, and hopefully you know more of a linkage, right? Yeah, she's the the purpose of the label is to market to the states. So, yeah, so she's she's spent a lot of time right. in the states. She's very cognizant of how to reach American consumers and right. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the typical problems is uh, to Well telling to, your story is yeah, important. Yeah, understand you know? Bordeaux you have to requires a little bit of education for sure. So. But I think one of one of the lessons also is that not just are the large estates thriving, but also mm-hmm. the produce the, yeah. the kind of small little not just even petite chateau because they're still chateau right even just the small family yeah. operations um classified uh, yeah. yeah and 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 there there's innovation going on there well, too they, right they have to because you know i mean those who do not move um you know i, I would say like the old uh families that have been there for a long time that do not have the, the resources um, those people end up getting bought out because they uh, they no longer can compete. Right. So that's what's going on in Bordeaux right now. You've got you've got other new winemakers who are going into the areas like Castillon, which are outside of the major areas, but where they can yeah where they can buy land and produce great wines because they're very, very talented. Or uh, um, you've got uh, people with money coming in buying those properties that have been lacking funds. And who are producing some uh, some great wines now? So so it's experiencing this great renewal. Uh, so in general, as you talk about the city uh, with the Renaissance, with the, the the wineries, new techniques, people want to do some uh, interesting things. I mean, it's just uh, it's mind-boggling what's going on in Bordeaux right, right now. Yeah. Guys, it's uh, we're 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 done. We're out of time. This has been so much fun. Um, I always look forward to catching up with you guys. Um, I, I want to leave us on well, we'll say MichelleTibowine dot com, uh, and twenty fifteens have already twenty sixteens are arriving. Maybe in the twenty sixteens have started to arrive, started but most of arrive. them will arrive. Um, in the next month to three months. Month to but three months. But all the 15s, if you haven't received your 15s and you bought some elsewhere, call them because they should be in. And uh, Right, they should be in. And um, do you still have some 15s left? Of yes, some stuff we, do. That you had? we do. We do. Okay. 15 was, uh, 15 was great because it came in, you know, um, remember 13 was a bad vintage. And then 14, uh, uh, they were worried that it wouldn't sell, so the prices in 15 were very decent. The euro was low, so the the deals on 15 are fantastic. Uh, you know, in 16, uh, the euro started going up a little bit, so right. not, not quite as good. But um, uh, if you want a great bottle of wine that you can drink in the next three to five years, buy a 2015. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, let, can I have you leave us with your kind of the, the, the place that you're most excited about and then 
so one one property in Bordeaux that you're most excited about and one property that you're you think is the most up and coming you know so one kind of established property that you that you are like just thinking they're doing fabulous yeah, wine yeah. and then one up and comer Okay. Well, I mean, I am a huge Palmer fan, especially <laughs> after uh, spending time with Thomas Drew. I just, you know, the, I, the, all the things they're doing in terms of their right. biodynamic investment is astounding and uh, such a commitment of the heart and pocketbook. Yeah. So, uh, and I think they make beautiful wines. So that would be my choice. Okay. Well, to me, to me in a, in a, on the left bank, uh, Chateau Rose en Segla in, in uh, Margot is it. It's uh, also owned by Chanel, just like I can own. The quality has jumped up maybe three times. And uh, I tell you what, uh, I don't need to be the one saying that because we, we, you can't find a bottle of this wine anymore. It's just everyone knows how high quality is. From uh, the standpoint of, uh, of uh, incredible value and high quality, uh, um, this wine we're just drinking right now, Chateau Bordeaux. I think the the, the winemaker Patrice Levesque is uh, um, is one of two or three uh, winemakers I, re- I respect the most in the entire world. You know, for the past fifty years I've been in this business. He uh, he makes right bank wines and believes that the wine should have enough fruit always because it's a, it is made from grapes. And so he uh, he does all all his work through uh, you know with cold maceration and whatnot. His wines always have fruit. They're always beautiful. They always have great balance. And I think Chateau Bordeaux is, you know, for 40 bucks is my wine. All right. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. And it always such a pleasure. Michel Thibault of michelthibaultwine.com and Marla Norman of travelcuriousoften.com. All right. Thank you. That does it. Thank you.